0: We are uh, in our... Christmas Advent season, and uh, a couple years ago, we had this idea, and we were kind of talking about this, and and, uh, we thought, wouldn't it be fun to do the people, the nativity, and every week bring out a character, somebody in the story, and just focus on that character. And so, Pastor Shane, last week with Joseph, and today with Mary, we're going to talk about her. Um, A couple years ago, uh, I was able to share her Magnificat, and one of my statements was, we're just so Protestant that we never want to talk about Mary, we're too afraid, right? And uh, we're too afraid of what we might find as this young woman who had incredible faith and peace amongst incredible anxiety and uncertainty. And so um, along the journey, I thought, I, I, you know, let's let's do this in such a way as to bring honor to Mary's story. And uh, I've invited Becky Josberger, who is the chair of Masters of Biblical Studies, and you teach Hebrew and Old Testament to come on up. And Becky is going to talk about Mary and uh, walk us through that journey of this beautiful young woman who yielded to to God, and because of her, we have his son, Jesus Christ. So welcome, Becky, to the platform as she speaks.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. It is such an honor to be here. Um, Gosh, I gave my pastor at our church, who mentors me in this, a call yesterday, and I was like, I've prepared and prepared and prepared and prepared, and I still can't capture what it is. And he laughed and he said, tell me what you've got. And I told him what I got. And he said, that's what I thought. You won't ever capture it. So just let them sit in awe with you. And I was like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> I definitely would have, when, when James first approached me about this, would have classified myself as, uh, okay, really Protestant, what do I do with this? Um, And uh, wow, am I excited for this morning. So uh, let me start by um, telling you what happened in our house on Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving is my husband's favorite holiday. He takes the week off work. I I have the best one, I'm telling you. And he bakes and cooks all week and prepares for (laughs) whoever wants to come. And the day before Thanksgiving, I'm a professor. And he said, are there students who don't have a place to go? And I'm like, honey, there are like a lot of them. Like, do you want, do you want, do you want to rent tables and chairs? Like, what are you thinking? He's just amazing. It's his favorite. Um, so after Thanksgiving, we all sat around, and I have a number of children, and one of them is just a goer. She has to be doing going somewhere, and she, we realized that. And we were like, you know what, let's all go for a walk, and as we were walking around, it struck me over and over again how prepared people already were for Christmas. Um, gosh, I love to prepare for Christmas, and I think it's just A regional thing. I mean, when it's dark at 4.30, you may as well put lights up as early as you can. But there seems to be an intense desire, especially maybe at least in my home this year, to usher this season in, to find something joyful, something traditional, something stable, something we can celebrate. I don't know about you guys, but I am literally and physically and emotionally tired from this pandemic. And Christmas just offers this thing. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter was sitting on the couch uh, when we got back from the walk and she pulled out her phone and she's like, scoping for Christmas screensavers. I'm like, okay. And she keeps fine, she's like, no. She goes, I just can't find the Christmas mood yet. And I'm like, it's thanksgiving (laughs) give it some time but there's this yearning for something predictable and comfortable and stable and this morning I get to talk to you about a young woman who enters the story she just waltzes in and shatters all of that just mind-blowingly shatters predictable Oh, okay, first time in human history we're going to have a baby without a daddy. <laughs> okay, comfortable? I'm reading about Mary and I always complain, like, how did she ride on that donkey? And I realize the donkey is her luxury item as she's marching going into Bethlehem because then she doesn't have to walk. Oh, my word, comfortable? And stigma? Oh, My word, Mary is not where we're going to find traditional, comfortable, predictable, but we're going to find joy (laughs) and awe and wonder. So I want to move, because this is when I'm most comfortable, I want to move right into her song And I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. And I don't have the best vision, so I'm going to read it from my Bibles. But we're going to look at the song that when when Mary shows up on the scene, and I spent, what is it, eight weeks now? Looking at Mary going, I've never understood you. Like, what? And she... In the story of Luke, and in her own words, says, It's not about me. Look at Jesus. This is my job here on earth to bear living testimony, like life birth testimony, and life song testimony to the greatness of God. All right, so I'm gonna read for us from Mary's song. This is after she's been told in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Um, this is after she's been told that she's going to bear the son of God. Not just any baby, but the God one. I, there are theologians that study this like crazy and they try to explain it to me and I'm like... God, man, okay, got it, he's God, okay, Jesus. And this is what she says. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now, for the sake of simplicity, I'm gonna take that song, do that every day in class. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just drop my pen if you couldn't see that. I'm gonna take that song and I'm gonna divide it into two parts. There's so much in here, but I'm just gonna divide it in two parts. And both parts were basically going to be talking about the same thing, that head-smacking, mind-bending awe of what's going on. I'm not going to be able to riddle it out for you, but we're going to get to look at it together, okay? So the first part of the song, again, her role is to point to Jesus. And the first part of her song we're going to see is about favor. Now, you'll see in this story, in her in her poem itself, in her song itself, it doesn't necessarily have the word favor, but the whole story, I mean, that's how we know Mary, the one favored. Um, Elizabeth says, you know, oh, why do you, why am I so favored by you that you would come visit me? Because she's with Elizabeth at this point in our story. And um, Giving someone favor, it strikes, I'm an Old Testament person, so everything I see is from the rest of the Bible. And it's a really, really common phrase throughout the Old Testament, throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. And it's used anytime someone with lots and lots of authority offers a a grace or a welcome or a gift. Or a a blessing, even sometimes just the blessing to be allowed in their presence to someone who doesn't have that authority. Usually the type of authority that the person holds that's offering the favor is like that of life and death. Like they could decide just to slaughter you, but instead they let you in their presence and other, and it's used pervasively throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the word is the same word that we get for grace. So it's this unmerited, like didn't do anything. Now I have an extra, I have four children and an extra. The extra is, um, his name is Zach. He used to be one of my students. He's too old for us to adopt, um, but he has his own room in our house and he's Okay. He's one of those. And he is currently in seminary, Catholic seminary. And so we've been talking about Mary all week. (laughs) We don't talk about Mary enough. I don't think in our Protestant tradition, I'd echo what you said, James. Um, But I think that's because we don't know where to even begin. I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened in my life that I'm not even able to find out where we begin. And then from there, if we can grasp that, let's move on to the next step. And I wrote this story down because it's kind of personal and I'm afraid I might get choked up, so I'll see how I can do with this. But um, on November 18th of this year, my one of my children turned 16. And we're sitting around the table at her birthday dinner, and my husband says, 16 years ago today, and you can see all the kids like... And he says, your mom and her best friend, Miss Maya, almost got kicked out of the hospital. And my kids are like, wait, that's not where I thought this was going. <laughs> but it was totally true. So uh, my... <laughs> Best friend, Maya, and I are hilarious together. We really are. We're awesome. But the true source of our uh, our raucous behavior that night in the hospital, I say raucous, I mean the l- nurses literally came in again and again to ask us to calm down. We were laughing so long and so much that it just, they finally said, honestly, we've never done this before to a new mother, but we may have to send you home. (laughs) The source of our laughter was just incredible joy, inexplicable joy. Emily wasn't our first child. So we had already experienced kind of that mind-blowing, stop your heart, take your breath away, reorient everything you ever knew about love thing that happens when you hold your firstborn and she wasn't our second child and when we held our second child we had already gone through that it is absolutely impossible to love anything else as much as I love this first one oops no it isn't moment so it wasn't that but God was doing something brand new Emily marked a new learning curve for us in the years between our first two, our seven, then seven and eight year old, we had experienced a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, a miscarriage, a son born premature who died after two hours, another miscarriage following that with just agonizing details I decided not to share at Christmas time. And my pregnancy with Emily was so severe that I had a pick line the entire time. And the reason she was born on the 18th is because they induced her three weeks early for the sake of my life. And during all that time, I got two things stuck in my head. One of them was that this baby was not going to be born alive. It just was, duh. And the second was that God owed me this child. Now, that sounds audacious, but, like, I spoke that out loud to people. He had taken my children from me, and he owed me. The minute she was born, the moment she was born, I knew both of those things were false. One, she was alive. (laughs) She's the one that was looking for screensavers at Christmas the other day. (laughs) And two, that it didn't matter who I was, what I had gone through. Nothing about me mattered enough to make me deserve that life. God didn't owe me that child. That child was a gift. Like beyond, like all children are. That child was a gift. In fact, in that moment, my husband and I went like, Are you feeling this? Yeah, I'm feeling this. And he said, ah, her middle name's gonna be Grace. Yeah, so she is Emily Grace. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in those moments, I come to the end of my ability to be able to figure this thing out. And that's just a normal birth, a normal birth, kid with the story that comes into the family. There's literally millions of those. A year. And I can't figure out all of the grace, the undeserved favor of God that goes into the birth of each child. So imagine how lost I am when I come to Mary's story. Yes, I love all of you, but I pick you, Mary, you're chosen. What? And you are going to bear a son, but he's going to be my son. He's going to be God. You lost me at Emily's birth. So, Jesus' birth? I think I've failed. I can't get there. And that's what this first part of the song is that Mary is saying when she says, hold on, I gotta read it. My soul glorifies the Lord and rejoices like, whoa, mind blown. For he has been mindful of the humble state. She says the same thing David does. Who am I that you would do this for me? And he's like, that's the point. I am doing it. And in fact, when she points to her setting, she's also pointing to the way God has behaved throughout time. His entire message of scripture is I'm God, you are in need, you have nothing to give back to me, I'm gonna do it anyway all the way through scripture Mary's like the the walking embodiment not just of the son of god but of his pattern of looking down and going yeah guess what i love you guess what i pick you it's yeah mind blown before i get too distracted <laughs> i want to show you so at this first part of the psalm our song we're invited to just be blown away by Mary's experience as she's pointing back to God and saying, this is who he is. This is just who I serve. Cool. On an individual level. And then the second part of the song, this is where I have to really use discipline because it blows the story of the Old Testament all up in my face. Like, I read it and I'm like, you should have heard my first draft. (laughs) You guys were going to get a Joshua lesson and a Genesis lesson and an Isaiah lesson. And a like, it's just all there because she says on a, on a, on a individual level, this is who God did. He takes the humble and he, he elevates them. He, he saves them. We've, we've weakened these words so much, especially at Christmas time. He's redeemed them. He's whatever. And then on a global level, he's doing the same thing. So read again, if you will, with me, the second part of this. Right after holy is his name. I'm gonna come back to holy is his name if I remember in just a second. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. Oh my gosh, I've got Deuteronomy and Exodus ringing in my head. And then I've got, whoa, this is a big thing. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Anyone have that like with his outstretched arm? Like whizzing through your head. By the way, I, I sort of promised a colleague I wouldn't do this, but I'm, I have the mic. <laughs> Um, a lot of us think that this is the beginning of the story. It's like the beginning of the Bible. It's in the gospels. It's the beginning of the birth of Christ. That's where our story starts. Even our calendar starts there. Guys, Mary had a Bible and it had so much in it. We know she did because she's singing it right here. She's going, let me tell you about this God. And he's done everything in history. For this moment. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. See what Mary said about herself as an individual? He's she's talking about how this is how he behaves in the world. He fills the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Man, this is me editing. I promised myself that I would pick one story from the Old Testament of all the ones that I want to tell you right now because they're all in here. I'm going to pick one, okay? And I'm going to, I don't, I only tell good stories when they're like, have people I care about involved. So that's how you're going to get it. When I, thank you. When I first, but wait till you hear the end. (laughs) When I first started teaching, this was about 12 years ago, my, um, Boss asked if I would, my dean, at this point he was my boss because I didn't really want to do this, but he asked if I would be willing to take an entire weekend and drive up to Seattle and teach a course on the Pentateuch. Okay, that means like all of Friday after I get out of class and all day Saturday. So my kids were younger at this point. It was hard for me to be away from them, juggling work and kids I have never mastered. I'm just not good at it. And so I asked my husband if he, would, he and the kids wanted to come, and they said, great, we'll do that. So unbeknownst to me, my son, who was like three at the time or four, had fallen. Oh, I wouldn't know how old he is. Hold on. He just turned 13. So he was two. He had fallen right before I got there to pick him up, and my husband had checked him out, but everything seemed okay. During the ride up to Seattle in rush hour on a Friday, um... We realize, you know what? My mom radar is going off like crazy. He has a broken collarbone. Like, the kid's seriously hurt. Jim's like, oh, no problem. I got this. We don't have enough time to go to the hospital. Ahead of time, I will drop you off. You teach your class. I'll go to the hospital. I'm like,
0: no.
1: And he looks at me like, yes. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm walking in this room after a long day on Friday, after rush hour, and my husband's taking them off. And I go into this room and it's probably about this size. It's a really big room. And there are huge round tables everywhere for all the students. And there are two students. And I'm like, oh, and I'm wiping tears. And from their perspective, which they told me themselves, I might embellish for entertainment's sake, but they told me themselves, this was pre-COVID. So I had dark hair and looked a lot younger and it was 10 years ago and they're like we were honestly expecting like a professor I have the paperwork <laughs> No we were expecting like an older distinguished male professor and so we were equally disappointed at this point okay and I'm literally trying not to cry cuz what's Can you say this from the pulpit? What's worse than a girl than a girl that's crying? And you're like, "Ah, I can't teach them. So I sit down at this table and we start this conversation and I'm walking them through. And the second day we talk about Exodus. So I've gotten to tell them all about the majesty of God and his creation. Look at the discipline. Mm -hmm. All the things I want to tell. And now we're in Exodus and I am telling them that with all the great things that are going on in Exodus, I mean, it's a really fascinating story. There's like babies in baskets being rescued and given back to their original mom to nurse them. And it's a great book. It's not boring in the least, except for one massive part in the middle that tells you how to build the temple for like 10 chapters in intricate detail. And then you've got another exciting story that's bad. And you've got this crisis point where the people break the very first rule God told them and they make an idol and they worship him and oh, miserable and God threatens to leave. And you've got all this reconciliation going on with Moses. And then you're like, yay, let's go to the story. Look, we've had a happy turning point. And then you get like nine more chapters of instructions on how to build the temple. <laughs> this was not quite what I expected. You know, I kind of, but I was showing them that the way the whole story is laid out From that crisis in the middle to the way the book ends. You know where the end of a story is, right? On the last page. Like that's how you know what the story is about. Yeah. And if you want to cheat, like some readers do, (laughs) you'll go look at the last page. The message of the book is that God did all of that because he wanted to dwell in the presence of of his people. He'd already redeemed them. He'd already saved them. He'd already given them laws so that they could know who he is and how they, he was, they were expected to behave. He'd already provided for them. He'd already demonstrated. He, In our book, he's done everything. He's made a covenant. He's promised with them. And in his book, he's not done until he's with them. Which... I tell my Old Testament students all the time, I can never explain this to you. Do you understand that God doesn't just love you? His love includes like and longing and like nearness. And I'm speaking all of this and I look up and the student, there were two guys I told you in the class. The one that scared me the most You can Google him. He's at a church up in Port Orchard. (laughs) He's a great friend of mine. He's got this big beard and he's from a fishing community. And and he's, he's just a strong ox of a man. And we had had some conversation up till now. And I look up. Oh, wait, let me tell you about the conversation ahead of time. That morning we had had one that went like this. He slammed his hand on the table and said, I know what you want me to say but I'm really not interested in the God of the Old Testament because I want a God that invites me into the temple courts, a God that's near me, a God that lets Gentiles approach him. I want the God of the New Testament. I was like, okay, and I look up, and he's bawling, sobbing, crying. It depends on who tells the story. I have the mic. He's sobbing, (laughs) All I know for sure is that there are tears just trickling down his face. And he said, you mean to tell me that the God who created the entire world loved Israel so much that he was willing to come live in a box just to be near them? And my brain went, And suddenly, I understood, you don't have a manger yet. (laughs) That box, what Mary is singing in the rest of her song, as if our minds aren't blown enough, is about the God who shapes history around the promise that he made to not just redeem his people but to be in communion with them in his presence. There's a word for this that even New, Christian, new Testament Christians know. It's a big Christmas word. Anyone want to guess? Emanu... Oh, thank you. <laughs> Emmanuel. Yeah, it means God with us. I told you I can't It's not that I can't solve it. I can't riddle this one out for you anymore. I can simply stand with you and look In awe at a story that we've heard so many times, we can tend to forget to feel it. And even, it's not a forget, I don't know about you guys, but I want to feel it every year, desperately. But it's, well, common and unfathomable. So how am I supposed to feel what I can't grasp? And I think what we're seeing in the song of Mary is this invitation, whether it's on a minor level, like individually, the person of Mary, to riddle out what is that gift that we cannot wrap our brains around. This God who has decided to express the very being of who he is in relationship through history and through presence. Again, I went past where I wanted to go. This is where I start, okay? This is, here's my, how do you apply something you don't totally understand? So here's that, this is my version of that, okay? You just... It, hold on, this is what I'm thinking. How amazing that a God who loves us and does all of this to be with us is willing to pursue that and to be with us even when we can't begin to understand the simplicity of his gift. He's like, You don't get it? That's okay. I got you. I'm doing it anyway. No problem. So, whether you know that awe of being a parent, or you've longed for that awe of being a parent, or you've been a parent and lost the one you love, so you know even deeper the awe of the gift of that life. If that's as far as you go and the mind-bending grace of being gifted a child, just a human one, (laughs) is as far as you can get, then you and I are in the same spot. And just enjoy that. Whether you celebrate Christmas Like at my family, I mean, you could write a book about the consumer Christmas in my house if you came and did Christmas with us. It's so unrighteous if that's a thing. Man, you just got to come three days early because that's when we start the party. (laughs) Or whether you downplay all of that so that you don't get distracted. I don't know how everyone celebrates, but what you're celebrating is something that we will not understand this side of heaven. Do you guys realize that I, well, that the reason there's not a lot of conversation about the virgin birth in the Old Testament, there's some, but it should be a really big deal. Scientifically, it's because that's not the mystery. God created the world. According to a great theologian, probably the most influential of our time, Larry the Cucumber, he just went, and there it was. He can make a baby. The thing that has never happened, ever, and is so inconceivable, it trips theologians up, is that a person would give birth to a god. Why? God has power. I already told you the answer. It's because he wants to be with you. So this year when you're, here's back to that fuzzy application, when you're celebrating the season, when you come in every Sunday and see Mary, just let yourself be okay with not quite Getting it. Because he did it anyway. And just sit in the awe of the inexplicable grace of God, who throughout history has reached down and elevated the humble. By definition, people, not God, humble. for the purpose of being with us. I wish I could explain that to you more. I'm still struggling to get it. But it's the plan of God for you. And Mary epitomizes that plan and she knows it. And she says, for years they'll call me blessed. Look what he did. I'm going to invite the musicians back up and I'm going to go ahead and, and close us in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, the message is so big and I feel so inadequate to convey it. If I can't understand the gift that you gave me in my own children, how can I understand the miraculous grace of a child being you, your son? And how can I begin to understand that that son humbled himself in the most miraculous move that's ever happened partly because of its unlikeliness just to communicate and to be with us. And Lord, as we celebrate the rest of this season, I ask that you continue to be gracious to us and to draw our hearts more and more into that thing that we long for, that mind-blowing, earth-shattering, phenomenal awareness of the way you see us and what you've done for us. In your precious name we pray, amen.